Father God, thank you so much that the hope that you have given us is a living hope. Thanks that our hope comes from the fact that the victory that Jesus won at the cross was verified when he rose from the grave, never to die again. And thank you that because of that, we will live with you as well. Uh, Father, I pray this morning that you help us all to hear from you uh, as we look at your scriptures, that you would remind us of the hope that we have in you, and you help us to live in light of the hope that you give us. We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys have a seat. Before I jump in this morning, uh, the sermon, I want to take a moment to pray. Uh, most of you are probably familiar with the fact that uh, New Cove hosts a Korean church that meets in our uh, downstairs area every Sunday morning at 11, and maybe some of you have seen uh, Pastor Cho at different things over the, the last few years. Uh, we got word that last night Pastor Cho's wife unexpectedly uh, passed out. Uh, they think it was due to some brain bleeding, and she's currently in the ICU at uh, University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha. Uh, She's in a coma, and his family is probably really scared right now. So uh, I'd like to take a moment and pray for them uh, before we jump into the the sermon this morning. Father, I can't imagine um, what Pastor Cho uh, and his kids are feeling right now, Um, but I pray that as they wait uh, to hear from the doctors about what's happening with Kyung, uh, that you would meet them in a way that they can't explain. Uh, God, I pray that your presence would be so real to them that they would have hope in the midst of what seems like a really scary moment. Um, God, we do pray for Kyung, uh, whatever is happening in her body. God, we pray that you would intervene and that you would bring complete healing and restoration to her. Uh, God, we ask that you would give wisdom to the doctors uh, that's beyond their skill and training uh, as they work with her. Um, And God, we we just want to trust Kyung uh, and the whole Cho family to you. Uh, Ask that you bring healing and peace to them. And we pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry to start on a little bit of a downer note this morning. Uh, But it reminds me that I'm so glad that what we're talking about today is the hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, we're in the middle of our series on community, and this morning we're going to talk about what it looks like in some ways to be a hopeful community. Hope is one of the things that characterized the early Christian church, uh, and it's something that should characterize us as well. Now, my guess is that uh, all of us at some point in our lives have had something that we've become so excited or passionate about that we've not been able to stop telling other people about it, Right? Uh, We all have this experience, and when someone does that, we tend to say that they're evangelistic about this thing or experience that they have. Uh, Over the years, I know that I, uh, I'll confess, I've been evangelistic about certain things. Uh, Back in the day, I was evangelistic about the Kansas City Royals. This was 1985 or earlier Kansas City Royals. Um, I've been evangelistic about Coca-Cola. Mustangs, the the cars, not the horses. Um, Apple computers, Charvel guitars, and most recently is Panera's coffee subscription plan. Uh, <laughs> if you're on my staff team, you, just, you can ask them. They've heard way too much about that over the last few years. <clears throat> and I'm sure that most of you have things uh, that you at one point or another have become evangelistic about, something that's really impacted you. 
It's interesting, the word evangelistic comes from a Greek word in the New Testament, uh, euangelion, and it simply means good news. And so when we get passionate about something that's impacted us, we want other people to hear the good news about this thing that's had an impact on our lives, that's changed us. Uh, and that's how, we, that's how we get evangelical or evangelistic about things. Uh, when that happens, right, we want everybody to know. So we start wearing the T-shirts and the hats. We put the stickers on our cars or our computer cases or our, or our water bottles, right? We, we'll do whatever we can to get the message out there. And we do that because we're convinced that other people's lives would be much better if they experienced what we know about this thing that we've discovered, Right? Well, when we look at the early church uh, in the book of Acts, what we find is that something special is happening there. And I want to turn just for a moment uh, to the passage that we've been using as sort of the the cornerstone for our whole series here. Uh, It's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And the last part of that reads this. It says, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it raises the question, what was it about the early Christian community that was attractive enough that outsiders wanted to join their group because of what they saw? They were doing it daily. Well, one of the things I think was true uh, about the New Testament church was that they had a hope in Jesus that got them through difficult times. Uh, And since hope is often a rare commodity, we find that often when people have hope, they tend to share it with others. And I think that's what was going on in the New Testament church. They were getting evangelistic about their hope in Jesus. So this morning, uh, I want to take a look at first what the hope was that they had, uh, the same hope that we have today, and then briefly touch on a couple different ways that they shared the hope that they had and maybe that we can engage in as well. To start, uh, real quick, the, the word hope in English uh, often carries a sense of uncertainty with it. Um, the Oxford English Dictionary <clears throat> dictionary defines that kind of hope like this. It says it's a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. It's a desire or a wish. And I think that's kind of how we often, when we say we hear the word hope in English, we think, oh, I, I hope that this will happen, right? I wish that this is going to happen, but there's an element of uncertainty. We don't know. Uh, That sense is used in the New Testament uh, on a couple of different occasions. Um, In the Greek language of the New Testament, there's only one word that's translated hope. It's the word elpis, Um, and it can be used a couple different ways. It can be used in the sense that I just mentioned. Uh, We find an example of that in Paul's letter uh, to the first letter to the Corinthians. So he's talking about his future plans, and this is what he says to them uh, in chapter 16, verse 7. He says, I do not want to see you now and only make a passing visit, but I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. So what he's saying here is that Paul desires to spend some extended time with the folks at the church in Corinth, but he doesn't know if that will happen or not. There's that element of uncertainty there. But most of the time, Uh, This word, elpis, in the New Testament, when it's talking, translated as hope, it's talking about something that has a much richer meaning than what we normally associate with the word hope. Uh, And it can be defined this way. It's a confident expectation of an unseen future based on past proven experience. Uh, And Paul's, uh, earlier in that same letter, Paul uses this 
uh, sense in a sort of a generic way. He's trying to make a case that he and Barnabas should be able to earn their living from the work of the gospel. And uh, in chapter 9, he writes this. He's giving an example from their culture. He says, When the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. So his point here is that the different people who have participated in different parts of the farming process should have a reasonable or confident expectation that they will be able to participate in the harvest when it comes in, right? So the fact, because they know uh, how farming works, they've done this before, they know how the system in Israel works, there shouldn't be any doubt in their mind that if they've participated in the, the farming process, that when the harvest comes, they will participate in it. They can be confident in that. And that's the sense that often uh, is used of hope in the New Testament. The New Testament, uh, the early church, their hope uh, was much greater and more uh, deep even than the confidence that a farmer could have that they would experience the harvest. And that's because the hope that they had was rooted in both the faithfulness of God to keep his promises and the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And I want to look at those two components of their hope this morning. Uh, So we'll start with the first, which is God's faithfulness. Uh, The people of Israel had a long history of receiving promises from God and then having to wait and trust him to fulfill those promises for a long time, often hundreds of years at a time. One of the most significant promises that God made uh, to ancient Israel was that he would set them free from slavery to the Egyptians. Long before that happened, uh, hundreds of years before that was actually going to happen, God speaks to Abraham, who was the father uh, of the Jewish nation, And in Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14, he says this to Abraham. It says, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. So three generations later, the Israelites find themselves enslaved in Egypt. They had traveled there because of a famine. Uh, There was no food in Israel, and so they went to Israel because they heard there was food there, and they settled down. And the king at that time, the Pharaoh, thought, this is wonderful. We'll welcome these people in. Well, eventually, that Pharaoh died, and the new Pharaoh who came into power saw the number of Israelites that were living in Israel and thought, there's a few too many here, and I'm a little afraid that they're going to rise up and revolt and take over the land. So let's make them our slaves. And that's what happened. 400 years later, in Exodus 3, God appears to a man named Moses in a burning bush, and he says this. In Exodus 3, 7 to 10, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of the slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land, into a land that's a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And that's exactly what God did. Through a series of supernatural plagues, God, through Moses, convinced the Pharaoh to let the Israelites go free. And this all culminated with Moses parting the Red Sea and ushering the Israelites out of slavery and into a new era of freedom. For centuries afterwards, this event, the bringing 
the, the Israelites out of slavery to Egypt, this was the event that all of Israel for centuries, even to the time of Jesus, looked back on as proof that God was faithful to keep his promises. You'll find references to it all throughout the Psalms. The prophets reference it. Uh, even the teachers in Jesus' day looked back at Moses and what happened as the Israelites left Egypt as the definitive proof that God is faithful to keep his promises. But the thing is, there's actually a greater promise that God made to his people and all who would follow him. It was the promise of a Messiah that one day would come and bring an even greater form of deliverance than setting someone free from slavery to another nation. We're told uh, throughout the Old Testament that this Messiah would defeat evil, sin, and death once and for all, and that he would make a way for people to be restored to their relationships with God and one another. The interesting part is that he would not do this, the scriptures tell us, through the expected means like military conquest or political maneuvering, but the Messiah would accomplish all these things through his sacrificial death and resurrection. And that brings us to the second component of the hope that the early Christians had, which was the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Uh, The Apostle Paul spent who is responsible for almost half of the writing we have in the New Testament. He spent the last quarter century of his life taking the good news of Jesus to all the nations in the Near East. And towards the end of his ministry, uh, he was eventually arrested in Jerusalem by the Jewish leaders, and he was taken into custody by the Romans in order to prevent a riot. And at his trial, Paul says this in Acts 23, uh, verse 6, Paul says, my brothers, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, which was one of the groups of the religious leaders. He says, I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead, which is an interesting statement. So it raises the question, what does it mean that Paul had hope in the resurrection of the dead? And I want to see if we can unpack that for a moment. Uh, I'm going to jump back to 1 Corinthians for a second. In chapter 15, uh, Paul speaks extensively about the resurrection and its significance to the gospel message. Uh, It's part of the good news, the euangelion about Jesus. Uh, So in verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 3, Paul writes this. He says, What I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally, or most translations say, untimely, born. A couple things I want you to notice about the passage here. Uh, The first one is that the resurrection of Jesus is an essential part of the gospel Message. I think often when we think of the gospel, we think that Jesus died for our sins, which is true. That's part of the gospel message. But we don't often go to the next part, which is, and he rose from the grave. Uh, it's interesting here, because the second part that, uh, well, Paul tells us that this is an order of first importance, Jesus' resurrection. Um, And the second thing I want you to notice is the amount of time or the length that he goes to to establish the reality of the resurrection in the passage. Uh, It's almost like he skims over Jesus died and was buried. And then he spends four verses talking about all the different people who were witnesses 
to Jesus' resurrection. And he even says that most of those witnesses are still alive, which implies to his readers that if you don't believe me, if you don't believe Paul, then you can go ask any of these people and they will tell you Jesus rose from the dead. So what is it about the resurrection that's so important that Paul would put this kind of emphasis on it? Uh, In verse 17, later in the chapter, Paul says that if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we're still in our sins and our faith in Jesus is useless, which is interesting um, because, again, normally we'd think, well, if Jesus didn't die and pay for our sin, then we would still be in our sins. That makes sense. But here, again, Paul's saying, no, there's a whole package here. If Jesus wasn't raised from the grave, then we're still in our sins and our faith is useless. Uh, For Paul, the resurrection was proof that Jesus had done all the work that was necessary to pay for our sin. It proved that he was who he said he was, that he was the Son of God, he was the Messiah that the Old Testament promised, uh, and that he was, as John the Baptist referred to him, he was the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. The resurrection uh, was what verified all of that in his mind. Later in the chapter, uh, Paul tells us that if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then also there's no hope of or there's no reasonable expectation of life after death for any of us. And finally, he says that if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we really don't have any uh, foundation from which to endure the trials and difficulties that we experience in life. In fact, he says at the end of that section, we might as well party now if life is over when we die. Uh, But he doesn't end there. In verse 15, this is the important bit. Paul says, but Jesus did rise from the grave. He's going back to his statement earlier and referring to all the eyewitnesses. And Jesus rising from the grave changes everything. Uh, Paul refers to his resurrection as the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep or those who have died. Uh, First fruits is not a term that we use normally in everyday conversation. Uh, But in ancient Israel... There's this uh, uh, pattern or habit of, at harvest time, uh, the farmers would bring the first part of their harvest to the temple as an offering to God. And in doing so, that those first fruits were to be a sign that the rest of the harvest was going to come in. What Paul is saying is that Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the sign, is the indicator that we also will be raised with him because of our faith in him. His resurrection makes all other resurrection possible. And because of that, uh, not only do we have hope, a, a confidence about the future, knowing that one day we will be raised, but it also gives us a foundation from which we can endure the difficult things that we experience in life. We can have a confident expectation that the story is going to end well because we know that resurrection is the end of the story, which can make difficult things a little easier to endure. So there's this combination of the faithfulness of God to to keep his promises and the bodily resurrection of the dead that formed the hope that the New Testament church, the early church, had. And that same hope is available to all of us today as we put our trust uh, in Jesus Like I mentioned earlier, uh, people who have hope tend to share it, and that's exactly what happened in the New Testament church. Uh, So real quick, I want to look at a couple of different ways that they shared their hope in Jesus. First, uh, they shared their hope that they had in Christ with their lives. 
by the way that they lived. Their confidence in God uh, and the promise of resurrection allowed them to live other-centered lives in their present, and other people noticed. They were excited about what was happening. Uh, If we jump back to our foundation passage, uh, I want to highlight one other part of it here. In Acts 2, 42 to 47, again, it says, They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, and, catch this, enjoying the favor of all the people. It seems that even outsiders were observing how the Christians were living and treating one another, and they liked what they saw, so much so that they wanted to know how they could be a part of that same community. Uh, throughout, if you follow the narrative in Acts, uh, you'll notice that the New Testament church was known for all sorts of things. Things like uh, sharing what they had with others who were in need. Uh, they were known for finding ways to care for the widows in their community, which was a significant thing in ancient uh, Israeli culture because of the way that widows were taken care of and how land was proportioned. And so this was seen as a really honorable thing for them to do. Uh, Lastly, they were even known for, at times, selling their property and using the funds that they got from that to help people who had needs. It was these kinds of generosity and selflessness that the watching world saw, and they liked what they saw. And because of that, people saw the hope they had and wanted to join that community. So, they shared the hope that they had with their lives. They also uh, shared their hope in Jesus with their words. In Acts 4, we read a prayer uh, that was given after some of the apostles had been mistreated uh, and persecuted by the religious leaders and then set free from jail. And this is what happened uh, in Acts chapter 4. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And it seems like they continued to do that. Uh, Because a couple chapters later, at the close of this section in the book of Acts, Luke writes this. In chapter 6, verse 7, he says, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So sharing the hope they had in Jesus with their words had the same effect as sharing the hope that they have in Jesus with their lives. People came to know and follow Christ and join their community. All right, at this point, I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Why, maybe give us a couple uh, takeaways just from what we've heard this morning. The first thing I want you guys to hear, and if you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear this, which is we have the same hope today that the New Testament church had in its early days. Because God is faithful to his promises, and because Jesus rose from the dead, We can face our present life and the future with confidence and assurance, knowing that the story ends well, because we will be raised with Jesus, because he was raised as well. The other takeaway that I think we should uh, think about here is that this hope we have is worth sharing. Uh, And again, in a couple different ways. First, with our lives. And this doesn't mean, when I talk about sharing the hope we have in Jesus with our lives, I hope you guys don't hear that what I'm saying is you need to be perfect, because I, just, I know that's not going to happen. You can come to my house and watch. It's not perfect. Uh, I promise that. But we can learn to do the kind of other-centered things that the early church did. And I believe uh, when we show generosity to others, when we show kindness to people, even when it feels like maybe they don't deserve it, 
when we go out of our way to give time to show love and care for other people, that people will see that and they'll know something is different and they will experience a little bit of the hope that we have in Jesus. Obviously, the second way that we can share the hope that we have in Jesus is with our words. And I know that the minute that I say that, a lot of you are thinking, I wouldn't know the first thing to say if someone asked me about my hope in Jesus. And while I understand that reaction, uh, I actually don't think that's the case. I think it's much easier than you think it is. Uh, And that's because all of us have a story about how we came to know and follow Jesus. And that story is something that, if I think about your story, your story is something that you know really well. And it's also something that nobody can argue with, right? Nobody can tell you that you haven't experienced what you've experienced. And so the next time you find yourself in a conversation and someone's asking about what it means to know Jesus, just tell your story. I'm sure it will have way more impact than you imagine that it will. All right, well, this morning, uh, to kind of close our time, we are going to celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus by observing communion. Uh, The worship team in a moment is going to lead us in a song, and the elements are going to be passed out. And as they are, I'd ask you to hold them, and then we'll all take them together afterwards. Uh, And also, during the song, uh, this is a great time for you to consider giving to the ministry of New Cove. Uh, And if you'd like to do that, there's a QR code on the seat backs in front of you. You can scan the code with your phone and give. Uh, Doing so allows us to continue to minister in the community and have an impact on others. So I'm going to turn it over to the worship team.